0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Meixel. Well, today we continue in this season of following Jesus together. And today is the second in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, Becca gave an overview and read through the entire Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, chapters 5 through 7, actually. And um, today we're going to jump into the first part of that Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be continuing to do this throughout the next eight weeks or so as we recognize the significance of this sermon that Jesus gave. And as we jump into today's sermon, we're going to focus on the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5, a portion of scripture that is often known as the Beatitudes, uh, which is another word for blessing. Uh, It's a section of, of this sermon and a section of scripture in which Jesus talks about what it means to be blessed. And when I say that word to you, blessed, what comes to your mind? What do you think of when even you hear the word blessed? It's not probably not something we use in everyday language, but it is a word that we think about from time to time. Are you blessed? In what ways are you blessed? Is it a good thing to be blessed? How do you know whether or not you're blessed? Our culture points to blessing in a number of different ways, many of them having to do with material resources or important positions of influence or other ways of setting ourselves apart in a positive manner. We'd say that we're blessed. So it might be something like, you know, um, I have a, a beautiful wife. I have wonderful children, and so I am blessed. Or I have a great house, a large, lot of square footage, and so I'm blessed. Um, I've seen a, a license plate around my house a few times. This, it's a car that's a late model BMW, and it has a license plate. And the license plate says, blessed. Um, There are all sorts of ways in which we are blessed and in which which our culture says that we are blessed. And we want to think this morning, as we go through this list of blessings in Jesus' sermon, about what would Jesus' definition of blessing be? How does Jesus define blessing? Is it the same as the way that our culture defines blessing? Is it different from that? Where are the places that they overlap? How do we understand Jesus' message and meaning of the phrase and the term, blessed. So to do that, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And again, we're reading from the message during this series, the message translation of Scripture. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. And arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content, when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of to compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds, and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt, seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and wind up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Jesus says a lot in those 16 short verses, and we're not going to be able to, in the time that we have today, get into the in-depth of each one of those verses. We want to encourage you to continue to read and study and to share those in your small groups or in other ways that you have to dig at the depth of that. But we are going to see what is the the overall picture that Jesus is painting here. What is it that Jesus is trying to tell us about this notion of blessing? Jesus gives us some profound and extremely insightful teachings here about what it means to be blessed and what it means to be close to God. And we're going to recognize in that that the blessing of who this is going to uh, impact what it looks like, and how that blessing impacts the world around us. So the question starts, who is blessed? We asked that question a few minutes ago about our culture and asked who, what would people around us say are the blessed people, but what would Jesus say based on what this passage says? Well, he makes a list of those who are blessed. He says, the person at the end of his or her rope is blessed. The person who has lost what is most dear is blessed. The person content with who he or she is is blessed. The person with a good appetite for God is blessed. The person who cares is blessed. The person with a right inside world is blessed. The person who shows people how to cooperate is blessed. The person who is persecuted for following God is blessed. That's quite a list, isn't it? That's that's quite an interesting list, a list that we might have a little bit of struggle with how we can define all of those things as being blessed. Who matches up to this list? What is at the core of the person who's receiving God's blessing as Jesus outlines in this passage? Well, there are a few commonalities that we can see in this list. For one, there is, in a couple of these, a sense of of weakness, a sense of loss. Being at the end of your rope, for example, is someone who is completely exasperated, someone who is unable to really do anything for God. They've, They've gotten to the end of what they can see, touch, do, whatever they can think. They've just gotten to the end of it all. And that can seem like a place where you really don't have anything to offer God. That's kind of the point. It's at the end of our rope. It's at the end of our striving. It's at the end of thinking that we can get there that Jesus is present. Jesus says, losing that which is most dear, whether relational or materially, that that those people are blessed. And again, that's a a really, really difficult circumstance and situation, whether that's relational loss, whether that's material loss, whether it's, it's all sorts of kind of loss, But getting to the end, getting to that point of loss, Jesus says that those people are blessed. Our our initial response to weakness or loss is to believe that we can bring nothing to the table for God. But as I just mentioned, that's precisely the point. We don't bring anything to God. It's precisely at our point of most vulnerable, lowest uh, ability to do anything for God, that Jesus intervenes. There's another group whose attributes point to an ideal that's seemingly beyond our ability to achieve. It's important for us, for example, to have an appetite for God. But how much desire to God is enough to get that blessing of God? I mean, you know, if you've got a a good day and you're eight out of ten, nine out of ten, is that close enough? Does that bring God's blessing? What about those days when it's two or three. What about those days when it's, you're striving, striving, and you can't quite get to where God's calling you to be? Is, is there really an ability to, to have a heart hungry after God? Or how about the, the, um, the, the call to um, have a, a care about the world around us and the world inside of us? I mean, those can seem like lofty goals. Recognizing God's standard in these areas And God's ability to work only reminds us that, again, we can't match God in God's righteousness and God's standard. There's a third group of attributes, and these don't even seem desirable. I mean, who wants to face persecution? Generally speaking, we want to avoid persecution and opposition. We want want people to, to want to relate to us. We want people to like us. But Jesus says the way of his kingdom is a way that is counter to our world and counter to our culture. Our personal desires for preservation and advancement go contrary to Jesus' invitation to receive persecution. Once more, this seems like a difficult area for us to make ourselves acceptable to God. What then? What then do we do and gain from these attributes? How do we get into God's good graces? Well, the simple answer is, we can't work our way into God's favor. This is not about making ourselves acceptable to God. It's about recognizing that it is God who initiates a relationship with each one of us. It's about recognizing that it is God who loves us and extends grace in ways that we can only begin to fathom and imagine. It's about recognizing that it is God who does the reaching out and extends his love, His grace and his blessing in our lives. Who can receive the blessing of God? Jesus is saying here, it's the one who doesn't bring anything to the table. The one who recognizes that his or her good works will come up short. The one who relinquishes life to God and surrenders to his leadership. That is the one who is blessed. Now the challenge for most of us living on planet Earth in the year 2021, is that such a notion of relinquishment, such a notion of dependence on God is completely different from what we see around us and what is often told to us in our culture and in our communities. Our culture says that, that blessing comes from the accumulation of money and power and prestige. The blessed are those with the fancy house, the expensive car, the perfect family, lots of influence. Those are the people who are blessed. We don't have to look very far to see how the challenges of life can run counter to that notion. When we look at people's Instagram pages or Facebook posts or other kinds of social media, um, we, we see the highlights. And it's easy for us to look around and to think that all these people around us, they just have it all together. It can appear that they are truly blessed. But that picture misses the broken relationships. They don't usually put those on Facebook the sleepless nights worrying about whether the mortgage is going to be paid or whether that, that child is, is going to, to get into the school that they want or whether the child is going to do the things that they desire them to do. Or that the, the, the fear that all that they've acquired will be lost. Real godly peace, the kind that only Jesus can bring, comes recognizing that we can't bring it on ourselves. We can't strive for it. We can't earn it. We can't make it happen. Instead, we're coming to God at the end of our ropes. We're coming to God in a place of utter dependence. And it's then that God can bring comfort and blessing. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's far different from what the world describes. But it's the greatest blessing ever. Who is blessed? Well, according to Jesus, it's the person who can bring nothing to the table, Except a complete reliance on God. That's the who. That's the who of God's blessing. No one can come except for those with nothing, depending on the grace and mercy of God. But the next question is what does that look like? What is the nature of this blessing that Jesus is talking about in this passage? And again, we see a rather countercultural list that Jesus makes. He says, The blessing is more of God and his rule in your life. He says the blessing of God is the embrace and the presence of God. He says the blessing of God is ownership of that which can't be bought, that's not material. It says the blessing of God is a meal that doesn't involve food. It says that blessing of God is God's care. The blessing of God is a view of God in the outside world. The blessing of God is understanding who you are and your place in God's kingdom. The blessing of God is experiencing the depths of God's kingdom. Well, again, that's quite a list. Very different from the description that's often given of blessing in our world. Essentially, all of these blessings point back to a greater understanding of the presence and the relationship with God. Jesus is saying that blessing comes from knowing God and being known by God. Only in relationship with God can anyone experience true, eternal blessing. Another way of understanding this is by substituting God is with for the words blessed in those verses. So for example, God is with the one at the end of his or her rope. God is with the one who has lost What is most dear? God is with the one who is persecuted for the cause of Christ. God's presence, God's presence and nearness to us is the greatest blessing that we can even begin to imagine. That's the greatest gift that God can offer the gift of His presence and the gift of the ways that He works in and through our lives. And much like the who is blessed in Jesus' economy is different from who is blessed by the eyes of our world, the what of blessing is also very different. What is blessing in our world? As we said, it often involves measuring blessing in material things, like the biggest house or the nicest car or the the best travel experience, or it involves power, who can control the largest empire corporately or, or in other ways, or who can influence the most people. Our world says that we will experience blessing when we have enough of those things. But again, we don't have to look very far to see the, the CEO with a wrecked marriage and, and broken relationship with children, or the person with the, the greatest house and, and all of the trappings that come with that who, who just, their life is falling apart all around them. God's blessing, real blessing, is far different from what our world offers. Jesus here paints a very, very different picture it may not. In fact, it often doesn't play out um, the way that we would expect in this present world. But The thing is, God is not bound by this present world. God has a way of looking at this world and an eternal understanding that, is, that goes beyond the material and what we can see around us. That doesn't mean that God isn't with us today, because He is. He's with us understanding that rare, real pain that we experience throughout life. But it also tells us that in God's economy, everything is not limited to what we can see, touch, and experience in this world. And nowhere is this otherworldly view more explicit than in Jesus' description in verses 11, 12, and 12 of those who are receiving persecution for following after God. This is what he says. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort. They're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. If that doesn't run counter to culture, I don't know what is. But it's a reminder that even in the midst of some of the most difficult turmoil that life can throw at us, that God is present. Many of you have probably heard the stories that come in from persecuted Christians around the world, in places where they're not able to openly worship the way we are here this morning. And it's astounding when you hear stories of individuals who are facing absolute um, the, the, the worst kinds of circumstances that you can imagine, and yet in the midst of that, They can sing praise to God, and they can recognize the presence and the love and the hope of God in their lives. That's blessing, but blessing in a way far different from what our world can see and understand. That's the kind of peace, the kind of hope, the kind of true blessing that Jesus is talking about and is offering here in this passage Jesus' description of who receives blessing and what blessing they receive is certainly different from the description of our world. But that doesn't mean that the world doesn't need to receive such blessing and such hope. And the interesting and amazing thing is that God is using his blessing in our lives to impact the world around us. That's what Jesus is talking about here in in verses 13 and following. That's what he's describing when he says that we are called to be salt and light in our world. By living out Jesus' blessing, by exhibiting godly peace and hope in the midst of challenging circumstances, we are sharing that peace and that hope. First of all, sharing that it's even possible to the world around us that doesn't think that that's even possible. But it also gives us an opportunity to reflect God's ways in our lives. The world around us, the world around us gets to see that blessing, that hope, that, that comes not from something that we can conjure, not something that we can work up to, but that comes because God is at work. Now, if you're like me, it can often seem daunting to hear calls to influence our world positively. It can seem like it's only possible if we aggressively seek to share the Bible with people who aren't interested or in some way act in some weird manner to get their attention. But Jesus is saying here, by living out the blessing of God, by experiencing the presence of God in difficult and challenging circumstances, and by remaining hopeful because of God's work in our lives, we are light, we are salt, we are an influence on the world around us. They will see that there's something different in us, not in a a weird manner, but in a compelling manner. And by being such a light in our world, we are invited to share the hope and the love and the light Of Jesus Christ. This teaching of Jesus today is an invitation. It's an invitation to receive and to experience the presence of God. That presence isn't something that we can work toward or achieve, instead, it's a gift from God. In fact, it's precisely when we get to the end of ourselves that we are in a position to receive that grace of God. None of this is predicated on our worthiness or activity of the one being blessed. Instead, it's a gift from God. And that highlights the incredible grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. And that's an important thing to to see and to understand here at the outset of this Sermon on the Mount. Because there are some descriptions throughout this that are going to appear to call for incredible human effort. That that in order to be right with God, that we have to do some some Herculean things. But these verses highlight to us, it's not about what we do for God, it's about what God does for us. For us, in us, and through us. It's a gift, a gift that comes as we give up striving for it and receive that forgiveness that's available to us because of the gift of Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rising again, giving us hope of eternal life. Have you received that gift? Have you recognized God's outstretched arms? seeking to be in relationship with you. That's the invitation that Jesus is making today. Let us pray. Lord God, it is with grateful hearts that we hear these words today. In many ways, they can seem challenging. They can seem beyond our ability to put into practice. Yet, Lord God, we are reminded that it's precisely when we get to that place where we recognize that we cannot bring anything to you, that you are here to offer to us hope, forgiveness, and new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for that gift. Thank you, Lord God, for that invitation. Thank you, Lord God, for the ways that you work in and through our lives. Thank you, Lord God, that you are at work in our world, in our lives. And you give us opportunity to express that love into the community in which we live. And Lord God, we are reminded today of the wonder of Christmas. The words the wonder of Christmas and the opportunity that we have over the coming months to express a piece of your love to the community around us. May you guide those efforts. May you bless those efforts. And most importantly, Lord God, may you help individuals all around us to see in the midst of this giving to see your love and your hope. Lord God, we are grateful today that you are here with us. We're grateful today that we can turn to you and we can trust you. We can lift up the the needs of our hearts and our minds. We pray, Lord God, that you would intercede and intervene in ways that only you can. We continue to pray, Lord God, for Becca and for her family as they mourn the death of her father and as Becca and Dave and the kids travel back Uh, Tomorrow, We just pray, Lord God, that you would give them safety and remind them of your peace and your grace and your hope. We also pray this morning for Rich Slater, who's normally a part of our choir and our ensemble and who's dealing with some health issues today. Lord God, we pray that you would intercede and bring health and healing to his body. Encourage him this day and remind him that he is not alone, that you are near. And for all of the requests and needs that we're thinking about and that we're lifting up to you this morning, Lord God, we're grateful that you hear our prayers and that you are at work. And Lord God, that together we can pray as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.